In this episode, Ron and I respond to feedback regarding episode 124. We had fun and hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you. Okay, welcome to the Banker with Lot podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. So I had a little outline of what some of the things I'd like to bring up and talk about in this episode. And then, of course, Mr. Griggs gets triggered on something and not not really. But Well, background. So we did, I think this is, there was episode 123, I think it was, 123 or 124. Uh, 124. Look at that. I've got a note. That's clever. Episode 124, Deconstructing 1090 Policies, uh, where we did an example from a a client, Bob, of mine, uh, who had these 1090 contracts recently purchased and then came to me after listening to the podcast and was like, well, given what you've said in the past, maybe I don't want to do this again. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. So, and it, it turns out, by the way, it turns out update turns out he's going to keep those sure. two prior 1090 policies. Fine. Um, so there, there really is a solution, you know, getting rid of them or 1035 exchanging them is not necessarily the, the always the right answer. And anytime that there is a specific, you know, you should do this, this way all the time, every time, it's probably wrong. Yeah. One size fits all, right? This will be yeah, the exactly. first time ever that one size fits all is exactly. a good idea. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so he's keeping them and okay, fine. Now, uh, it turns out that of course, on the private Facebook groups, which we're all aware of. Uh, well, some of us might not be, and that's okay if you're not. But on these private Facebook groups... You're not groups, missing anything if you're not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, of course, didn't like that. You know, we... Just to back up a bit before we get too far into it. Um, there's a lot of antagonism yeah. online. Well, what a surprise. There's antagonism online and social media. What a concept. Yeah. But between everywhere but Twitter, right? (laughs) (laughs) But between people who are like, first of all, there's this idea that structure is all that matters, right? To do IBC, the idea is means to go buy a life insurance policy that's built a certain way, which is not the case, right? IBC is much more. It's everything Nelson talked about. We've talked about that many times in the past. So, but there, you know, we start there. Structures, all that matters. And we really care about that. And, you know, people get very invested, no pun intended, into that idea. And then, of course, people then go out and practice it, right? They, they go and get these contracts that conform to these ideas about structure. And then you get stuff online where people are disagreeing. And we yeah. say, well, no, that might not be the best or that might not be the way to go. And I think... I could be wrong. I think sometimes that people take that as like a personal thing and they get really upset. Like some of these comments. Well, some some people like to make it personal or try to. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. Some of this stuff, I mean, I can't really say it with a straight face, <laughs> is, you know, we're... Uh, so he's spreading. going to the quotes or like some of the uh, posting in this private facebook page and yeah there's some and of the comments just know that, that you know all this they attempt to hide online in their little private group and they won't let me in i mean i've asked to join but they won't let me in which yeah, is yeah, fine. they won't let him in I go figure but they you know they put it behind the veil sure so to speak whereas this is an open communication well, no, no, we just put it out there right we we throw it out there and uh make make it available for the general public and 
And, you know, my position is like, if you think you can do it better, by all means, do it, please. There's not enough content, in my opinion, when it comes to the infinite banking concept. So please start your own podcast, you know, your, your, you know, go write some books, do some medium blogs, um, you know, contribute. Yeah. It's okay. Um but then to, you know, to make it personal, this they said originally, you know, a couple of years ago, they start this private Facebook page because of the fear, uncertainty, and the doubt that I, this podcast, and we promote, right? And they used to like me until you came along, and then your negativity I rubbed off on you. me, right? And it's like, you don't even know me, bro. Yeah. Um, and you don't know life insurance either. You wouldn't write some of the stuff that you're printing. Yeah. But I digress. So what one of the comments is that Nethery and Griggs are presenting a half-truth, and shame on them for that. Mm-hmm. I'm taking Banking With Life off my podcast. For the Please, if you're an agent, that does that disagrees or you know you're part of the problem and the noise please unsubscribe our subscriptions keep going up organically (laughs) so it's not because the agents out there are unsubscribing but if that's you please unsubscribe and go you know do a public forum right put all this out there publicly right yeah Okay, sure. <laughs> Transparently. I mean, but do, do, do what you want. You, I mean, yeah. have whatever car. I, I don't care. I don't either. Uh, but it's just, like, there's just certain parts of it that, going back to, like, the broader point, is that, of the debate that get nasty and unnecessarily so. And, and I think, like, one of the first things I wanted to mention here is that not only is policy design the beginning and the end of IBC, it's not, but we take different people, it's never really spoken about, but different people approach the question of policy design with different philosophies in mind. Like, we're, they even kind of make, make fun of us in here, you know, that all we do is point out how Nelson didn't do it or what Nelson did and how everything else is different. Right. It's like, I'm not really ashamed of that. Like, yeah, the guy who came up with everything, the only reason this group exists, like the guy who's responsible for all of it. There's a couple of them. Yeah. A couple of wannabe agents and engineers. Right? But like the whole reason the life insurance contract design in terms of quote unquote IBC is even a thing is because of Nelson. Like, so I, it doesn't bother me. You know, if if our fault is that we go back to Nelson too much, quote unquote, I'm okay with that. And just whining because Nelson didn't do it this way. It's like, whatever, you know, the original comment, the, and you know, the comments in this group just was like, I think, well, we, release episodes every Friday and I believe these do you know what date this episode was released on? 4-1 okay 4-1 early so April the com- hmm? early April yeah yeah 4-1 so the episode I mean the, the comments in the private Facebook page started that day yeah yeah so they listen right and then they even say that well it's you know it's all of this nefarious stuff that we're doing publicly transparently uh but they listen every now and then because they can still get a nugget of you know yeah because you you, you're not trained the life insurance companies there's no training for the infinite banking concept the life insurance companies didn't come up with it and um a couple of them probably know how to design a policy you know because it's all 90 10 so how hard is that 9010 in the software, right? Yeah, so everybody can do that. And then there's even, you know, private training videos on sure. that as well. So I think there's something to be said about transparency. But let me say the first comment here. 
Clint. He says, uh, I just saw the Banking Life podcast uh, has a new episode on 1090 policy design with examples from actual cases. Has anyone listened yet? And half of the comments confirm that they're commenting on something that they haven't listened to. And then if they did listen, their comments confirm that they are trying not to hear or they didn't really listen because somewhere in the commentary is uh, how you went on and on about comparing apples to oranges, mm-hmm. right? But I want to get ahead of myself. No, that, that's but that's exactly where we're going. So, by the way, if you haven't watched that last episode, that's really the pretext for all of this. And you don't need to be in the group to go find it. I, mean, we, I, I don't even care to bring up any particular group. But it's like if maybe if these people have uh, problems with it, then maybe other people do, and so yeah. maybe it's worth clarifying, right? We can say that at least. And so in this prior episode, episode one twenty four, deconstructing ten ninety policies, I did. We, we had my my client Bob had two policies that he got from other agents. These ten ninety contracts. One of them was illustrated to go RPU, reduce pay up, right? To shut off permanently contractually all future premium in the in the 13th policy year the other one assumed that premium would be shut off in year 22 and i made the point that for this particular individual that there's really no there was really no reason to assume that uh and i think oftentimes the reason it does happen is uh, to sort of artificially curate cash value growth relative to premium payments. So like I can show this big old cash value and you only have to pay this much premium. And who knows what the reasons are for that. But at the end of the day, my, my point was that premium becomes unpayable in the life of these policies relative to what would have been possible with a different contract with a different design, meaning both a difference in the premium structure and a difference in the type of term writer. And so I went on to then show uh, what could have been done if the individual had, if Bob had purchased a policy with that other design. And so the, the folks on this forum are saying well you can't then you can't do that and compare cash values way out in the future together because you're doing an apples to oranges comparison you're looking at one set of policies that will only accept premium up to a certain point and another set or another policy that can accept premium for longer and of course the policy that accepts premium for longer is going to show higher cash value that's my point y'all that was the that was the point of the setup is that if the contractual structure is different, premium will remain payable for longer and that will result in much higher capital. Oh, and by the way, the contractual terms and conditions governing the abilities, governing the individual's ability to pay those premiums are is much more favorable, right? Of a much higher quality. And this gets into restrictions on PUA and we can go there. But that was my point was if you take a different philosophical approach, if you follow Nelson and you think long range and you're not afraid to capitalize, that will result in a meaningful difference in your contractual authority, namely in this case to pay premium for longer on better contractual terms and that the result will be higher cash value. If you, the, There's a sense in which it, it's not that I was doing an apples to oranges comparison. It's, it's that I was pointing out that that's an orange and this is an apple. Oh, and by the way, 
the apple's better like that or at least you might think if you share my philosophical perspective that we do want to think long range that we do want to maximize cash value capital long term over the course of our lifetime that maybe therefore you want to do this other thing that's the whole point so to say that oh he's doing apples to oranges i know well it wasn't a complete apples and oranges you pointed out the difference between an apple and an orange but then you combined them well, yeah. Well, and in, so, and, I mean, and in both cases, further analysis. And in both cases, I kept the premium level the same. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, yeah, in one contract, it's likely that the premiums assumed won't be payable. But even if we do assume they are, they're still going to be shut off earlier than they otherwise would have been. And yes, that's going to result in lower cash rate. That's the point. And then they raise the ne- they raise the next thing. It's like, well, if you really wanted to do a proper comparison. In the for the set of two policies where premium is supposed to be shut off earlier than I'm saying it otherwise could have been, in order to really flesh the example out, what I should have done is assume another assume that the individual went back and got other policies when the premium into those two prior contracts was shut off, so that the individual could maintain the same kind of premiums in in policies with that 1090 structure. But I I acknowledge that. Right. The, the problem is with that setup is that you reintroduce financial and medical underwriting risk. Oh. We can't just say, oh, I'm going to go get another policy in the future as if I as if I know for certain now that I'm going to be able from a medical perspective to do it or that my financials and given the amount of death benefit I have in force already will be such that the insurance company will let me get more death benefit. Right. The whole y'all, the whole point in this is to demonstrate that it's not all about the numbers on the page. There is this I've shared a thing with you uh, on Facebook, different thing where a professor friend of mine in economics was like, oh, yeah, comparing, you know, the 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 ostensible rate of return you can get in a 401k to the APR on a mortgage. And he's like, well, seven is bigger than three. And I made the point, look, acknowledging the difference in magnitude between two numbers on a page is not financial analysis <laughs> like that. Who, like, like, Wall Street has done a phenomenal, I mean, to pull the wool, like mastered to, to put people in a situation where it's like, hey, if you can tell a bigger number from a smaller one, ho, ho, you That's know what better. you're doing. Yeah. It's like, guys, there's more to it than that. Right. The question is, are are the premiums payable? What is the degree to which we can vary the premium over time? By the way, one of the points I made on here that's not addressed in this topic, maybe it's addressed somewhere else, is the difference in flexibility regarding uh, whether in the event that someone decreased their PUA premium payment in one year, whether they have the contractual ability in a following year to then increase it. Right. That. And my point with that particular contract was that that wasn't the case, right? If, if, if that, if Bob for this one policy reduced his premium in one year and then went to go try to raise it in another year, that would require evidence of insurability. That's never addressed anywhere, right? Of course, 90% of the payment is of that sort that is subject to insurability under those uh, fluctuating. It's quasi addressed in here. It's not, it's not. It's not literally or thoroughly addressed, but I, I, I want to say too that um, um, where are we at? There's there's an advocate in the group too. Yeah. Um, we appreciate you. The uh, reading the contract verbiage on how riders work is actually pretty transparent, <laughs> right? Which is what you know you did, um, and then 
you know, I got to point out the admin guy who's always says there's two admins. We know who you are. Um, you know, one of them went through both of our processes in the beginning and uh, he was ejected from my process, then went to you. And it was a week or two before we spoke and you were deep into it with him. And I'm like, I'm laughing at you. I know. <laughs> right. Uh, then you fired him. Right. And then the other one is just a, a quasi wannabe agent, in my opinion. I have not much respect for. But I don't mean to make it personal. But all of this has gone on in the life insurance industry for a long time. They beat up the other life insurance company. They got to beat up the other agent. Then they got to beat up the provisions. And, you know, oh, the dividend has always been an argument. Um, um, but, and there's another advocate in here. Adam, we appreciate, I appreciate you. You know, um, your comment in here was pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. It's pretty much just, no, I've been listening to them weekly for two years and they know what they're talking about. Thank you. I appreciate a listener like that who actually listens. Right. But then you also go on to say, Adam, well, maybe we don't know the riders and the availability of the companies that this group promotes to use the 1090. And actually, we have the contracts. We can read the contracts. And so we're somewhat familiar with them. Not that we do or do not write for the company. And there's also comments in here specifically that say, well, it would be more transparent if we to, if we were to mention life insurance companies' names, just like these guys do. They promote primarily two companies over and over and over. You know, they talk about the big four, but only promote two of them. Wonder why? Because that's who pays them. Okay, um, but let me let me let me be very frank and very clear. This podcast does not exist to promote a life insurance company of any kind, of any of them, none of them. You can practice the infinite banking concept with any life insurance policy. The best happens to be mutually structured or mutual life insurance company structured for. Uh, high cash value but the high cash value is not to be so high in the early years that it jeopardizes the integrity of a policy over the long term and the administrator goes through here and mentions three or four times specifically i don't know the future no well he didn't even say that he said well you know i do 1090 and i don't know what it's going to hold but i'm going to keep doing this yeah the future is unknown nobody knows what the future is it is absolutely unknown know but they confess several times in several ways that they don't know and so the point here and, and i agree to a certain extent it's not it shouldn't be the debate should be civil right no question you can do whatever you wish to do and that's what we're all gonna do um, my problem is or a problem that I have is when somebody says, this is the way to do it. Yeah. No, I'm not you. You're not me. The housewife and the businessman and the rental investor and the, and the, and the lady that's operating, you know, multiple businesses. We're all different. Every one of us are different. Our situations are different. Our financials are different. Our legacy is different. Our needs are different. And in fact, the future is unknown. So when you get put into a position, consumer, where you are forced or handcuffed to do something in the future, and you may not even know that, 
and you get to the point in the future where you're handcuffed and you're forced to go through underwriting again or forced to go through a startup period again because there is a loss of liquidity in the early years of all life insurance period. And that's part of the reason they do a 1090. They want to get past that. I understand that. It makes perfect sense. If I'm only focusing or solving for cash, how much cash can I get? And I've said it many times. I've built them. You can build a policy that is 4% to the base yeah. and 96% yeah. to the PUA. <laughs> so don't tell me that 90-10 is the way to go or 85-15 or 70-30. And then, and then they... They say it over and over. It's like they're trying to, they're trying to support what they're saying by using uh, ignorant statements to say that Nelson Nash's institute, the NNI, and the practitioners that are a member of the NNI only do things 60-40 is wrong. That is not the only way they do things. And then... To go even deeper than that, where in the world did 6040 come up with? Where did that come from? It came from the book, Becoming Your Own Banker and Equipment Finance. I mean, when I spoke at the Think Tank just a couple of months ago, Nelson used different policies with different structures because every case that he was illustrating and conveying had different circumstances. But the 6040 comes from equipment financing, right? And, oh, wait a minute. At that time, the book was printed in 2000. That happens to be a big four company that's illustrated in that book. Okay, that was two or three CSO table changes ago, plus the 7702 change. Um, he used zero term, zero term, zero term. All right, so to wrap that up, they write the admin, the administrator. There's two of them in here in this group. One's an agent that says, oh, you can only do things one way. He's ignorant. And the other guy is ignorant as well. Does that mean that's a bad thing? No, you can educate yourself. That's something that you can affect. If you don't know, you can learn. So I'm not being disparaging. But when you set yourself up to say, oh, you should do this, this, and this, and then you're dealing with people's money. Uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe you should be better well-versed. And then let me say also that they go in here and say, well, I don't want to pay premium 20 years, Mr. Griggs. I don't want to pay premium 30 years, Mr. Griggs. Maybe you're 80 years of age and you don't want to. I don't know. Well, the 1090 is like even worse for you then, okay? And my point here is you may not want to pay a premium now. Like, I'm looking forward. I don't want to pay a big premium 20 years from now. Well, how old are you? Right. All right. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. When a policy and, and I harp on structure, I think structure is extremely important. If we're going to use a life insurance policy to practice the infinite banking concept, can you narrow it down just to structure? No. But if you have the best structure in face of the unknown future, you're going to be in a better situation regardless of the circumstances. That's my point of flexibility and structure. Yeah. Um, if you're forced to, the, the illustrations are manipulated when you have to RPU, as you said earlier, year 13, and the guy's 40 years of age, right? And he's knocking it out of the park. Oh, wait a minute. Your income is going to go down at age 53? Really? You, producer, creator? It's like, no, no. Now, on a properly structured policy, you can make it a seven pay if you wish. 
Right. You can make that permanent or you can make that temporary. You can make it a 10 pay, a 15 pay, a 20 pay, a 25 pay, and a 30 pay. Now that gives me the owner of the policy control and I'll exercise my authority over the policy as Ryan likes to use in terminology, which I, which I agree with, depending on the circumstances. And it's really not that complicated. It is so not complicated. And so to say that, you know, I or we are promoting fear and confusion, shame on you. You know, you should know better. You have the license. You're the one making the recommendations and encouraging these people to do things that they don't understand. Yeah, that's a win-win for who? You and the life insurance company? Okay. I'll pause, Mr. Green. Okay, no, I have more. It's all good. A couple things. I'm I am willing to give more rope. Like, cause there, it's. I was surprised. I mean, we before we turn the cameras on, you know, we follow some of the little links and see what their like explanation for sure. why they're saying. So, you know, going back to this initial setup, Bob's got a policy. The policy with this certain company. The certain company says, look, and it's printed in bold on the illustration. Look, you can only pay three times the base premium in years two through 10, and then only, only one times the base premium in PUA in year 11 and beyond, which is a problem if we're going to illustrate PUA payments well in excess of those limits. And then, and this is where the clever part comes in. It is clever. It's all very clever. Yeah. And then, and I, I mean, I'm not being facetious. Like, I mean that. And they say, well, actually, in the con. Well, it's actually not in the contract, right? It's actually from an internal document from the company. Oh, so it's but, not in the contract? Uh, yeah. What? Oh. I don't know. Maybe it a, is. Uh-huh. Maybe. Who knows? But in this case, we see it from a from an internal document where they say, well, those PUA limitations it, that... that uh, it, that's are enumerated in terms of the base premium, those restrictions, that three... In the illustration. The, yeah. Those, that, those PUA restrictions don't won't be enforceable so long as the dividend goes to pay for annually renewing term let me then, let me interject here for a minute he's referencing a training document right for all these promoters that's highlighted Right. There's exceptions to this exception. The exception is the limitation on the PUA to base ratio, right? In years one, years two, and years 10. There's an exception to that, right? And so he's speaking of the highlighted exception in the internal life insurance company's documents. Yeah. Yep. And which says that so long as the dividend goes to pay for premium on annually renewing term, then these ordinary PUA to base restrictions can be set aside. Okay. So follow, which fair enough. I mean, well, that's clever. Okay. But follow that through, right? So long as the non guaranteed dividend hmm, is assumed to be paid to the, to premium for an annually renewing term rider. Then and only then are these restrictions about PUA relative to base uh, unenforceable. Only then can they be set aside. Okay, so here's the question. How long are you going to carry one year term death benefit into the future? Okay, the answer, whatever it is, is less time than you would otherwise have a level term rider. You're not carrying, and I don't care. I, I, there's a sense in which I truly don't care what's on the illustration. You're not carrying 
temporary annually renewing term that was priced at the beginning of that year and for 30 years out. It's not happening. And in the event, the illustration shows, because I've seen these before, right? It's a big premium, let's say 50,000. And let's say the, the structure is 1090. Recall the point in the past that I've made that just because the structure is what it is in one year doesn't mean that's what it, that's what it is in a, a later year. Mm -hmm. Keep that in mind. Okay, so maybe I can show 50,000 in contract premium or 50,000 in annual outlay in year one through 30. And I can say, oh, look, in the first year of that 50,000, 5,000 is going to base and the rest is going to PUA. Therefore, it's a 1090. Therefore, based on this illustration, you can pay that 50 grand for 30 years. Okay, because I've seen those, right? The only way that 50 grand total annual outlay gets shown is if that annually renewing term writer is still on the policy. So one, will it be? I, I'm telling you, Look, you could go go to one of these online quote generating policy things and get pull up a 10 year term, whatever you want, and, and just assume that you're going to have it out and forever. And look what happens to the premium. OK, there's a mortality. Mortality cost rises exponentially. It's a nonlinear curve. The older you get, the much more likely you are to die. That cost is going is going to get paid somewhere. OK, now is the dividend. So, in other words, we're assuming a, 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 an exponentially increasing cost to a rider that must be there so that we can illustrate a premium with the structure for a long time under not with in order all while pertaining all while re retaining the non-mech status. Right. We're magnifying the portion of the premium outlay that is non-guaranteed and depending on it more and more to be able to pay the same total premium outlay. Okay, just from just before you even get into the number, I mean, does that does that sound wise? I mean, like to to me, just it's all everything's all relative, right? An economist is that good or bad? Well, it's compared to what? Okay, in contrast, I would like all that to be fixed by contract beforehand, right? And by the way, leave the damn dividend alone. Let the dividend go back into PUA to buy more permanent death benefit, just like Nelson said. Okay, the. As that mortality cost rises exponentially, so too will the price per premium dollar of the death benefit. Right now, okay, so here's what they'll say. I can predict the response. Well, you're gonna be paying PUA premium and that purchase of additional paid up death benefit is going to offset the amount of death benefit that we need on the temporary one-year term rider. So the, the actual amount of death benefit on the one-year term is gonna go down every year. And it's like, yeah, okay. Sure. If and there's never a problem until there's a problem. Sure, you're going to pay that full illustrated PUA every year without interruption. What happens if you don't? What happens if the, and I know, okay, fear, uncertainty and doubt. But look, if, if I can if we can read the language and it's just about again, it all comes back to philosophy. If you want to take the position that that setup, that that structure will remain viable and that the numbers on the illustration will be payable, Great, go. Do, I'm fine with it. Go have at that. Okay. In in my opinion, it, well, it certainly deviates in several places from what Nelson taught, and that's what IBC is, is what Nelson taught. Um, but even further, I just prefer the guarantees. I prefer knowing that I have the contractual right to pay a certain amount of premium for a, a very long number of years. 
That's all. And so what's the trade-off? Look, we acknowledge all day. The trade-off is there's going to be less liquidity up front. Look, don't be afraid to capitalize. Businesses don't get started overnight. And then to your point, 1090 is not as thin as you can go. No. If you want to, if that's the idea, if that's what you want to do, we want to maximize cash value right now, right? And then, by the way, I want to shut off premium as soon as possible because premium's evil. Okay. Well, then, by the way, the big four may not be the, one of the companies you want to work with because they don't. There's another company, and we don't promote companies because this isn't a life insurance promotional podcast. The there's another company that you'll get down to, like you said, four ninety six, uh, three ninety seven. If you really want to maximize that cash value year one and then apply the same logic. Well, then once you wear that out, okay, well then just go get another one again. And there's never going to be another financial or medical underwriting risk and a problem. So you can just keep doing that forever. So and my, my point is that if that line of logic is appealing, the conclusion they reach about a 1090 contract from the big four isn't even the one you'd get, right? There's other ways to take that logic even to a further extreme okay if you want to go down that rabbit hole <laughs> you know if it's all about rate of return internal rate of return because this 1090 thinking is flawed thinking i think it's natural when we're exposed to the idea of the infinite banking concept we're using life insurance to accumulate capital to become our own banker you know i think it's very natural to squeeze down the base and then to do every machination to make that possible manipulation of the policy of the illustration um and then earlier when you said clever, you know, and I, I agree. I mean, the, now the language from, you know, an internal document from a life insurance company is what it is. And I'm not saying that's clever. You have a good not. point. It's not in the contract. It's not in the contract. Okay. So um, it is clever when it, when something like that is used in marketing to prove a, a, uh, a, a predetermined position that you have. Yeah, right? it's like an administrative bulletin. The company's yeah. saying, for now, we'll allow this. It's like current company practices. You know, there's something guaranteed in the contract, and maybe the company will allow a certain PUA premium until they don't because interest rates are so low and they have to put that capital to work. And by the time they pay the commission and the, the dividend, you know, that the PUA premium produces, you know, they're like, nah, nah. Uh, no, uh, you know, a million dollars is our limit. 500000 is our limit or whatever. They get to choose what the limit is. It's like, oh, well, this year. No, no, we're not going above this, you know, specified time. I don't care what you have. Oh, wait a minute. And, and just let me ask that. And I understand most term is convertible, right? And not all term is convertible for the whole time period. Um, and when you go into the quote engines, you know, like you like you mentioned earlier, um, if it's annually renewable term, is that cost guaranteed? Is the future each year that the 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 premium for the term is illustrated annually renewable term? It could be renewable to age one hundred. I might not have to go to underwriting to keep it on there, right? Um, but is that term cost guaranteed? And then here's a question: You have a contract, consumer. It's okay for you to understand what you have. And you agent, you know, y'all say y'all have these. I mean, whatever an agent tells me, I cut it in half. That's my 30-year experience. I mean, I know some of the best life insurance agents historically in the country that have died and passed away. I've known them. I've read the other ones before my time. You know, and, and I'm not saying I know every all of them and I don't know everything, but I know some real people of integrity. And I wouldn't cut what they say in half, but you... 
in this group, I'm going to cut what you say in half, okay? Why, James? You're being harsh and making it personal. Well, you're the one that, that brings up the Banking with Life podcast and then timestamps points that on comments that we make and that I've made, and then you try to eviscerate that, and your very comments show your ignorance. So, you know, and then let me say this, in going back to the internal rate of return, internal rate of return, that's all. I build policies to get the highest internal rate of return now and forever. Well, if that's true, then why, why don't you go uh, use universal life? If you're sold out and you're a zealot on an internal rate of return, why aren't you using uh, universal life? Because it illustrates better than a 1090. Right, you can you can illustrate a higher internal rate of return on that. All right, and then you know here's a comment from the guy who first opened Clint. You know, and his God bless him. I think he's a consumer. I don't know. Um, he's like, well, as as far as the guarantees and dividends, it's honestly not very. It's not a very big number either way. Right. I don't intend to keep the cash sitting in the policy earning four percent. Right. So is that you basing that on the four percent guarantee or, you know, the manipulation of a policy that's very clever how these illustrations are manipulated. RPU'd and your seven or ten or illustrations that are provided to the consumer that are only one page or two page. You know, all that's very clever. And things like that will bring uh, the authoritarian bootjack of the government quicker than, you know, worrying about the mech, you know, um, in my opinion. So you keep your 4% guarantee. And I'm sure that there's new illustrations on the new guarantees that are reduced to two to three, seven, five, whatever they are. You know, and then, um, you know, it's just another comment that I highlight. And I didn't even, I'm just picking the low-hanging fruit like them. You know, they cherry-pick uh, premium payments. They cherry-pick time periods, duration of premium. They cherry-pick. So, these cherry, I just went through like them and cherry-picking comments, right? So, the term writer also eliminates the risk of having to undergo underwriting. Yep. But if they did, oh, wait. So, of course, that's what we're saying. You know, a convertible term it eliminates the risk of underwriting, right? I mean, didn't we say that or did we not? I, I think to them they're saying, well, we can do this. We can pay these kind of premiums because we have the term on there. And that's my point. When you convert the term, you're going through another startup period. All right, but it's 1090. You're not going to be only going to be If they keep out. it on, they're saying if they keep it on, that they could, that it'll allow them to, to yeah. still do it, right? Which, Which again, that has to do with the clever points. Like, yeah, so long as the dividend is supposed to go to one year term, that'll work out. The problem, like you raised, is that the pricing of the one year term is non guaranteed, and the dividend is non guaranteed. So if something goes wrong with that relationship, at the end of the day, the that whether the target face amount will be maintained is an open question. Which means that whether the which means the degree of PUA premium payment illustrated is also, it isn't a contractually fixed number. It's not like you have the, the authority to pay that premium. You don't. It depends upon other factors. It depends on the mortality cost at the company at that time and therefore the pricing of the death benefit on the one-year term. It depends upon the magnitude of the dividend. It depends on your other PUA premium payments. 
right? This is just, when we talk about like introducing fragility or, or uh, compromising the integrity of a contract in the future, that's what we mean, right? I was talking to a client the other day. He's like, you know, I, what, what really resonated with me is I like how you guys talk about what my rights are and what my obligations are. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference. And it comes down to like, it's becoming your own banker. Like the spirit of becoming your own banker is to maintain maximum contractual uh, uh, control in a private setting. Right? And I, I want to retain all that contractual authority possible. And w what we're pointing out is that you lose that contractual authority. That contractual authority becomes conditional on other elements, other phenomena outside of your control into the future. And look, at the end of the day, like people get... Like going back to the very original point, like getting so invested and we get passionate and I know, you know, it's our profession. It's what we do. So you'll have to find some grace or not. I don't care The, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you're full of grace, in a, in a, full of grace in a 1090 contract. Will there be more cash value than cost basis? If someone pays the illustrated premium for the first 10 years? Sure. Yes. I'm, will there be surplus capital generated? Yes. Look, we're not there's a there's a meaningful sense in which I'm not trying to say that this is wrong. What I'm saying is that it could be better if you share my philosophical our philosophical predisposition. If you're thinking long range, if you're not afraid to capitalize, if you think you might like to have the con unconditional contractual authority to pay a PUA premium in the very long term. If that's you, then you'll want something different. If that's not you, then maybe this is appealing. And that's why towards the end of that uh, episode 124, we said that we acknowledge this. Like doing IBC, by the way, IBC, when I say IBC, I mean infinite banking concept. I don't mean some other acronym that conveniently is IBC, right? If you want to do the infinite banking concept, then you're going to think long range. Then you're going to want the, ostensibly, you might like to have the contractual authority to pay a premium for the long term. In other, put differently, the infinite banking concept is not just the creative purchase, the, the, the purchase of a creatively designed policy. Right. That's not all it is. And there's an, somewhere else in here, you know, the, the, they didn't show any illustrations. You know, we've just been conditioned. I want to see the non-contractual, right. non-guaranteed illustration. It's like, mm. that's the reason we don't show that stuff. <laughs> because it's all non-guaranteed. Right? The, the, I, that's the reason we don't talk about specific companies. It's the reason we, I don't, it's the reason I don't hand out illustrations like they're candy. Because until there's an offer on the table from an underwriter and it's within the 30 to 60 day window of potential acceptance by a client, it's all conversation. Nothing is in stone. And so I don't pass around information I don't know to be true. And, you know, and then people get mad at us. Well, if, if that's not, if 1090 is not proper to design, then tell us what is. And you're saying 4060 is not the proper design, then tell us what is. Well, <laughs> you can't, it's not that easy. Y'all, it's, it's like the same thing. Like if only the government would just solve all the problems, just tell everybody what to do and just, just give us the rule from on high. Tell us how to act. Tell us what's right. It's, I'm sorry. It's, I'm not sorry. I say that rhetorically. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not apologizing. It's not that easy. Mm -hmm. Look, I just put out a seven and three quarter hour series explaining 
in a, in a systematic fashion with slides that are annotated. It's all free. I don't need your email. I don't want your contact information. You can go get the entire rigorous philosophical backstory. They'll jump on all it. this. The, these people, but the general public. Will yeah. Care. And by the way, the comments are held for moderation. So, if you feel that you've got to have a comment to validate yourself and criticize, it'll be deleted. Like, I don't, we don't, I don't need that. But for other people who want to get the full, like, you can't say, you can't just ask, well, what's a proper design of a policy? And be like, here's your answer. Like, that doesn't work. I get why we want it. We want simplicity. We want it. Look, you need enough base premium to be able to pay a PUA for as long as you might possibly want the ability to pay it. You want unconditional contractual authority to do it. And you want to have maximum authority over where the dividend goes. There. that Take that and it, every all of this out the window. That's very simple. See, if, if we... Ryan or I knew the consumer, the potential client, knew what you wanted to do, what you are doing, where you want to go, and understand those parameters. It's very simple to build a solution or a proper foundation on which to start. Very simple. And it is not, you do not start at a structure, whether it's 60-40 or 90 10 or 10 90 or 80 20 it's very simple when an educated advisor right agent is working with an educated consumer and this kind of stuff i mean it will help educate the consumer in the long run right if they continue to listen read and before they make a decision Right. And so you're when I said he's full of grace, he's full of grace. So if it's 1090 or 9010, it's it's wrong because you started a, a structure and that's wrong. Right. Well, why do you say that, James? Because the future is unknown. The future is unknown. So a structure is wrong. Yeah, I think it's a combination. Of things. I, I think that it is. A combination I, I think of several the. Things. the, the like what we're pointing out, like the difference between unconditional contractual authority and conditional contractual authority, I think that is just totally missed. It's a, and they even talk about it in the, their videos and stuff. It's like, so long as I can illustrate it, that's what counts. That's the idea. And it's like, yeah. you know, okay, okay. One, I'm willing to believe that we've, we've just not considered the implications of that approach. I'm willing to believe that. And so I think part of it is just lack of knowing. And that's fine. That is what it is. And I'm not here to tell people what all they have to, you know, if, if that's how you want to operate, then fine. You know, Nelson said, if you know what's going on, you'll know what to do. If you understand the landscape of what's possible, the direction will be clear. And I, every client that I come, like, like you're saying, it doesn't start with a structure. It starts with, first of all, who are you? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> Why are you calling? What's your, <laughs> what are you trying to do? What's your What's your need for capital now? What are your financial circumstances like? Uh, you know, what, what What's the nature of your income? Is it fixed or is it variable? Is it cyclical? Is it seasonal? Do you have outstanding debt? Like all of that has to come first, and then that's going to inform the structure. We've and I've I do this in the sixth lecture of the series. And we've said it before that all else equal, if you have a policy with relatively more to the base premium, your long-term cash values will be higher. 
your short-term cash values might be lower than the alternative. And so it's a trade-off. Do you want relatively lower cash value now or relatively higher cash value later? Which means how long-term oriented are you thinking? How much have you accepted what Nelson taught? This is why we keep going back to Nelson. I know some people don't like that, but we're thinking long range. And so a lot of, and I have clients, I have a guy right now, he's one of my first clients. I think he was my second client back when I was in Lubbock. And he's, it's time to expand. And he's like, I want to go even more to the base. Yeah. I want no term. I, the base is going to be a majority of the total annual premium. By the way, you know, those who accuse me of being a commission hound, the client brought that up. Not me. I didn't even, I don't I didn't even bring up, hey, it's time to start another policy with you. No, he, there's a natural extension of his thinking. He knew it was time to pay another premium. He likes the idea of minimal moving parts, maximum guarantees, and he's the one suggesting maybe we should go higher on the base so that we don't have to be relying on term. So you didn't call him and say, hey, it's time to start another policy. And they're like, well, why do you say that? Well, because you have enough cash value in your first one to finance it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Look, very good points. And two, let me let me add to that. You brought it up to the earlier, the fragility. You know, the more you contort these policies, the more fragile they are in the future and the future is unknown. So structure is important, but structure can only uh occur when there's an informed consumer and, a, and an informed agent and advisor you know there has to be a relationship that is open you know it's like not only does it start with you know hi hello how are you this is my background this is your background and we work together do yeah. we even get along <laughs> to, to this is a philosophy even equal or you know uh congruent um, but it's also what what are what do you understand? You know where where what is your understanding based upon? Is it you know noise? Then there's some education that has to occur. Just like if they've never been exposed to the idea that you can become your own banker, you still got to knock a certain amount of the noise off just from the typical financial world, right? Um, let me say this too, because the guy goes on after the term rider and conversion and all that. Um, I love this. He said, both of those guys should know that and should have started or stated so on the podcast. But if they did, then they wouldn't have much of an episode. If you think, sir, <laughs> that we need your type of comment or 1090 is what we need to do an episode, you're just sorely mistaken. Right. So, but I appreciate you listening. Oh, wait, no, you're the guy who didn't listen, mm -hmm. who's jumping on the comments without listening. Of course, I wouldn't expect any other comment from you um, or a bunch of a different kind of a comment. And speaking of comments. Yeah, this one. First, couldn't couldn't get the comment out fast enough. And when he said earlier, look, if you don't cuss, right, if you're a gentleman or a gentle lady, if you're civil, um, we release questions in comments but whenever you're uh less than professional or uh i'm gonna be nice you know if you're not accusatory um and then if you're not self-promoting we don't release 
I don't release any comments that are self-promoting um, or you're promoting what you believe is right or the insurance company that you're in love with or you're trying to justify why, you know, you're embracing some kind of a mistake. I mean, if they're genuine comments, civil debate, we release them. Right. This one did not meet that criteria. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, time to unsub these guys please do so um, and, and let me just say that this particular episode went up in subscription so either you didn't unsub so wait a minute if it's time to do it do it sir get it done don't talk about it do it okay all right my 10 policy has a three times language but it also has language allowing much more pua with underwriting and or other conditions that's the point the very point that that we've made over and over with underwriting and other conditions that you don't control. And the life insurance company doesn't explicitly uh, uh, put it in verbiage either. They say, including potential underwriting. Well, what others are there? They're unnamed, they're <laughs> unspecified. Well, why do you think that is? Because the lawyers know how to write a contract. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, and so you, sir, should be embarrassed if you treat your uh, clients. He's an agent. You can tell by what he's saying. He's an agent. And so, do that. Do that. Go home, you know, or go write universal life. Or maybe go find a 30-year term and put your people in muni bonds, right? And you're looking for an internal rate of return, some tax shelter, you know. Why, why do you got to do a 90-10? When there are so many other things that can do better if you're looking at an internal rate of return. Oh, I get it. You're concerned about your pay, of course. So, wait. Now, we wasted an awful lot of time on that. I think it's a pro, you know, it's out there. It is out there. But let me say this, too. Um, I'm really excited, and I might bring this up again, too, because I don't want this tagged on to, you know, an episode like this. But, you know, the, the, like your client and, and, and I want to even go back to you know some points that you had made and maybe we've talked about it previously how the term is the term is illustrated to go down on the blended PUA the future term cost are not guaranteed there's a limit of guarantee that the that the insurer has to abide by and it's an extremely high limit um, and then the dividends not guaranteed is offsetting the in the cost of the term right Did, haven't you had uh, consumers that received the letter two or three or four years into their policies yeah. that uh, that requires additional premium because the term has gone up and the dividend has gone down or either yeah. or one of the two. Yeah. Yeah, so. Different yeah. company, but same principle. Same principle. Annually renewing term, mm -hmm. the dividend. This was a different company, but it was a standalone rider and the rider added annually renewing term and the source of the premium for that annually renewing term by contract had to be the dividend. First. It's the same the principle, right? At the one company, it's the idea of a certain dividend election. That dividend's got to go to premium on a one-year term. At another company, it's a it's a they, they introduce the language of a separate rider, and for that separate rider, there's annual renewing term, and the dividend must be the source of the ongoing premium. And yeah, four years into this guy's contract, he gets a letter, quote unquote, recommending a premium increase, and one of the consequences of not paying that, not following that recommendation, is that the death benefit bought with the term could go down and you know i wanted to make a larger point too you know with this the 
there's like an extreme nature in a lot of this stuff. And it happens sometimes with people who even do the 4060s or 3070s or other structures is they get the mech limit and the contractual premium maximum like within a hair's distance of each other you know the mech limit there's just enough term to get the mech limit fifteen dollars i'm not kidding like i've seen examples like fifteen dollars on top of the maximum contractual pua premium like we've got to take what the irs says and just read it real closely and then let's get right up to it you know let's just poke that irs bear just enough you know so that they don't come at us and we still get away with something we get to cut a corner we feel good about ourselves but you know we, we want to get right in a cozy right up to that irs enforcement action and then that happens another thing but it happens here too it's like yeah, let's let's you know imagine like a washcloth and you're just twisting every drop of water out of that washcloth you know it's like just squeeze it out and just get right up to tearing that washcloth to shreds you know just cozy right up to the irs regulation because the company will let us because the illustration software at the company will allow it and that like why would that be a good idea you know, it, it, it comes back to a, 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 thought, a, a thing that you've said way in the past. It's like, there is no need to make IBC better than it is. Yeah. It's enough. It, the way it is in that little 92-page book is enough. Is there illiquidity early on? Yes. All of this has to do, let's, let's be super real about it. All of this has to do with getting around illiquidity in year one afraid to pay two. a premium yeah it's yeah that's all it is and then they, and then it's justified by you know the the agents and advisors oh well they do that for commission i'm not making anything so you know do business with me um you know and disparaging the character uh and i get it but look oh wait a minute are they going to be there five years from now ten years from now you know i don't know I don't i get a lot of phone calls and i have over the years but i want to go back to your point before i get off on that tangent uh, you know, ringing it every last every drop. drop out. Look, I've had agents in the past. They've done that. I mean, I got drugged down the road. Now, it's my fault. Right? I'm not blaming people. I got drugged down the road early on of, of 96 you know, four, 97, three. Um, so, I mean, I'm not, I didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, these guys are, are bad people or whatever. And the only reason I didn't go down that road is because I learned from him. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, I had an agent one time doing exactly what, you know, you said, or, or we're talking about, look, here's the mech limit. And then, and I've seen other agents, they would pride themselves. You know, they build those, I got within one penny of the mech limit, like they really did something, right? Well, hell, they just knew how to manipulate the software. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and a different individual, you know, ringing it out, going right up, you know, I got within $10. Because the more you do that, the more funky, fragility things yes. that you cause in the future that that illustration's not showing. But in actual, factual experience that these guys haven't paid a premium long enough to know, it's going to happen. Okay. Anyway, this one particular agent, great guy. You know, he thought he was doing the right thing. I didn't know that he was doing the wrong thing. I had, I'm like, yeah. He got down. He's like, listen, here's the mech limit. It's like, whatever. I don't, you know, $20,010 is the mech limit. I've got this policy built right up to $20,009. I'm going to send the life insurance company $20,012 to see if they catch it. 
Oh, geez. That's the same kind of thinking, though. It's the same kind right? of thinking. And it's like, wait a minute. The life insurance companies are bean counters. They have they spend millions of dollars on, on the illustration software and the maintenance of it. And I'm not saying they're squeaky clean, and I'm not shilling for a life insurance company. It, it's like, why would you do that? You know, and Nelson said, quite frankly, he said, you just want to go up to the make limit, and, you know, you don't want to wave a red flag in front of the bull. And, and now, too... Um, once you get past this fear of illiquidity, paying a premium, once you get past that, because that's fear-based, right? Once you get past the fear of having a professional that you work with be profitable, oh my gosh, let I want a lawn care service. Let's just get the guy with the cheapest <laughs> price, therefore he has the cheapest equipment, right? And the cheapest employees, if he has any, and then... And, and I'm not talking about lawn care. I'm talking about grass cutters. Okay, I mean, I have a beautiful lawn care uh, people. I'm Got not disparaging it. Cut I'm talking. <laughs> uh, some of it's belts, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, my point is, like, if you're going to go buy a suit, do you want the cheapest suit that you can possibly buy? How about shoes? How about an automobile? How about a gift that you're giving to someone that you love and care about? Do you want the cheapest thing? Do I want them not to be profitable? So if something goes wrong, I don't want them to answer the phone. You know, if they will, if they're still available. Um, and I'm not saying everybody who does nefarious things goes out of business in short order, but just give them time. What else? We mentioned uh, Mr. Griggs, his series that he just released. We'll put a, do we have a link to that? Of yeah, course we do. I think available. all you have to do is like Ryan Griggs YouTube. Yeah, it's on my channel, Ryan Griggs, and then the it's a playlist, and they are meant to be watched sequ sequentially. They do build on one another, but it's called Whole Life Insurance Mechanics, and the subtitle is From the Perspective of Nelson Nash's Infinite Banking Concept. I don't know if there's enough room in the bottom to do the title, but the link will there's be not, there. But it's just the title. <laughs> the subtitle. But I had to yet to put in Nelson and IBC because otherwise. They might mistake it with some of this. So, you know what? <laughs> I could, uh, you know, speaking to this uh, doodad, uh, you should get your children to help you out with your social media. Um, you know what he say? Uh, we might not have a, an episode. Look, all of these things that I'm wrapping up at the end for the sake of time, I could do a podcast episode on. Yeah. So I have plenty of content. I have to say, here's I have something that's un, a little maybe counterintuitive. There's a sense in which I'm kind of thankful that this kind of stuff is out there. Yeah. Because it, it does force you to certainly address it or to look at it or to and to consider and to continually challenge the thinking. And it's helpful to me because I feel all the better about what I own already. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm sure they feel the same way, sure. you know, and again, like, I think there's too much uh, antagonism out there. Uh, I try to put it in historical context in the article I wrote on medium sort of announcing this different this other lecture series whole life insurance mechanics that i think a, i think the market in general is learning you know becoming your own banker written in 2000 building your warehouse of wealth written in 2010 modified endowment contract rules only came around in june of 1988 so that you know these a lot of these writers you know term writers pua writers are like less than 40 years old like the it, it's the various contractual, 
the differences in restrictiveness of PUA writers, which this group didn't address, and the differences in the kinds of term writers are not addressed in in Nelson, right? That this stuff is in the in the history, relative history of dividend paying whole life. These are new things. And you can see it in like the language we use to talk about it. I mentioned earlier the idea of a 1090. You know, is a 1090 in year one really a 1090 in year 25? Uh, you know, is a is a 4060 really a 4060 in year 35? Right? Th- these things will change because the uh, at the end of the day, the ability to pay PUA premium will drop off at some point. We'd like it to be as far into the future as possible, but it will change. And so, like, and then other people will switch the numbers. Like is a forty sixty the same thing the same thing as a sixty forty yeah. is a ten ninety the same thing as a ninety ten all the language is informal so a lot of this is the market still learning still getting its arms around how to even discuss it much less what the optimal way to do it is and so I think uh, let me I was like for myself I'd like the discussion to be less hostile. I, I'm willing to, I think that I'm, we go back to the idea of assuming angelic intentions. I'm willing to believe that every one of these people really wants to do the best. Now this one, by the way, down here who ripped part of our, uh, uh, book review yeah, and put it in a marketing review. ad. Yeah, okay, yeah. well that's different. But oh, okay, yeah. so you're going to single that guy out for nefarious marketing. And Grant, well, when I said he's using, full of grace, this is the third time he's full of grace. That's using our stuff to right. bolster their profile, which is just shady. Okay, well listen, if you use IBC and all Nelson's stuff to bolster know, your position, you and then you can toward it. Okay, but you're, he is full of grace, and so I'm not. Uh, I'm not there. I mean, I'm one of the guys that's not nicest guys I know, but I I believe agents and advisors across the financial world are either uh, honest or they're not. And if they promote things that aren't in the consumer's best interest, uh, whatever that may be, determined by the consumer, an educated consumer and an educated agent advisor, then there's two things going on, one of two. They're either less than honest or they're ignorant. I stand by that until I'm corrected and, and I am very much correctable. Uh, I do not know everything. And so, uh, uh, and so if I perceive based on what they say, you know, because my daddy used to say, man, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are too loud. Okay, so I can judge the fruit. All right, so uh, not that I'm called to be a judge and all things, but I am called to be uh, aware, right, and sober, okay, and watchful. And so I don't give grace. I give I give a lot of grace, but when I feel like or determine that there's less than honest, I have no grace, zero grace. So. I'm willing to give grace. I think there is that going on. There's some sincerity, no question. Um, and there is some ignorance, no question. But then there's also people that know better. If you've been in the life insurance business 20, 30 years, if your daddy's been in the life insurance business 30 or 40 years, then you know better. All right. And so, and let me also go back to say that Nelson, look, the PUA didn't exist until the uh, till the 90s, right? And the, and the companies, the life insurance companies were figuring that out. And that was a learning curve from for them. But Nelson was 
fully aware of the riders. He was fully aware of how a term works and what fashion it works because this concept, this idea, and I've said it many times, of a decreasing death benefit and an increasing, like a decreasing term and an increasing cash value and an increasing permanent death benefit is not old. It, it, it existed back in the 30s. All right, so Nelson was fully aware of the term riders. Now, um, the, you know, the machinations that have come out since the 90s of the different types of um, PUA riders blended and how that's structured and how they're designed. You know, of course, you don't know something that you don't see or experience, but um, he was aware of those. All right. In, in the lecture series, uh, in the second one on policy infrastructure, we point out that the cash value is the net present value of the death benefit. Cash value is what the death benefit's worth today. And a lot of stuff follows from that. In these 1090 illustrations with these annually renewing or decreasing term riders, the death benefit stays fixed. So, you know, square, if you know something about present valuation, like square that away in your mind for a second. Okay. Fixed future cash flow, but a rising present value of that cash flow. Look, at some, at some point, that relationship has to break, right? Either the cash value growth can't continue as fast as it was, or the death benefit has to rise. One of the two or both has to happen, right? In the illustrations in Becoming Your Own Banker, the death benefit goes up regularly, Right? There's an increasing magnitude of a future cash flow. The increasing magnitude of the future cash flow means that the present value of that cash flow is now higher. Right? If we increase, you know, if, I, if I say, look, you can get, I'll sell you $10,000 in a year from now. And you, you say, okay, maybe that's worth six grand a day. Well, if I say, I'll sell you 20 grand in a year from now, well, then that's going to be worth more. Right? The value of a higher future cash flow in the present is greater. Okay, that's it's one of the reasons why cash value cash value must equal the death benefit at endowment. A point you've made over and over again at age one twenty one, and it matters. And it, well, it has to be that way, right? So what what happens here is like all of these little financial engineering components are introduced to sort of manipulate the growth of cash value so as to minimize illiquidity and maximize. The, the liquid component to maximize cash value all while keeping the death benefit level like that it's just logically speaking that can't last and it's one of the reasons why it won't it's just not going to happen you can't just keep a level death benefit for let's say 30 years and continue to pay a big old premium to build rising and rising and rising cash value well what, why is that that policy becomes a mech yeah, but don't worry. The non-guaranteed dividend will keep buying death benefit, Ryan. Yeah. Right? And that's why on the there's two sides to every ledger, the tabular details in these life insurance illustrations. There's the guaranteed side that takes into no account of a dividend. Guaranteed. You pay this premium for this duration, we guarantee this death benefit and this present and future cash value. You look at those numbers, go out to 120, because all policies are engineered to a theoretical life span of 120 years. Whether you illustrate a premium for 20 years or 10 years, or paid to 75, or paid to 90, or pay, doesn't matter. 
All right. Look at the guaranteed ledger, the guaranteed side of the ledger, the guaranteed cash values at age 120, and then compare the non-guaranteed cash values at age 120. And if you see a multiple of 10, 15, 20, I don't, I mean, the multiples are become ridiculous, then you can bet that neither are going to occur, right? Because these companies do pay a dividend, right? And they will over this long time period. Um, but it ain't going to be 30 multiples or 10, 15 <laughs> multiples on the non-guarantee side compared to the guarantee side. And the larger that disparity should be a clue, should inform the consumer that, hey, there's something here and I should learn more. You know, in the, in those, in the lecture series, I put uh, do a bar chart of the 1090 policies that Bob has. Yeah. And you can see the the green bars are higher than the orange bars. There's surplus cash value. Like, and we can let's assume we assume all day that those premiums can be paid. Still, if you compare it to a contract that gives you the authority, the unconditional authority to pay premium for longer, cash values are greater. Hmm. I don't want to pay a premium for twenty. Let me say this too: that content does matter. I agree with you that um, it, it is good that these things are out there. The noise is out there. It just does get a little bit weary when you're. When you're engaging with prospective clients, consumers, and they don't know what they don't know, but they're re- it's, it's like a Dave Ramsey termite fan. They're regurgitating what they think is the truth about life insurance, and it's just not the truth, right? So it's good that it's out there um, in the in the in the in the fact that it is. It's, it's like a cockroach coming out into the light. At least you know it's there, right? But to that point that content- Here I am trying to be less antagonistic. I'm not being antagonistic. Listen, I'm like, I'm full of love and grace, okay? And then I have more notes, but I'll save it for a future episode just to make sure that, you know, fear not haters that we do have content uh, in the the by the grace of God if he's willing and I'm able and Mr. Griggs is able we'll continue produ- producing good content so you but you keep doing what you're doing and maybe that'll provide more content as well right. <laughs> yeah it'll continue on they'll continue to do that and that's fine yeah I, perfect all right. Well, what else, Mr. Griggs? Is that it? You hungry? You like buying I'm barbecue? I'm starving. It's like three, Of course, you hadn't eaten in two hours. It's almost 3.30. I haven't eaten all day. Thank you. You should Wrote be better a whole to yourself. article this morning. Woke up early. Took Lucy to her rover. Yeah, it's lunchtime. I'm, I'm impressed. Good job. All right, all right. Thank you for listening. I know I had fun. I always have fun. I'm a <laughs> fun <know>. guy. <laughs> Full of grace. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.